0: Entering the Freedom Hut. The border crisis is spiraling completely out of control. We have more numbers, more data, more information. And oh, by the way, the Democrats were lying their faces off about this until today. We'll get into that and also the latest on the fight over Ilhan Omar's anti-Semitism, the fight to prevent this country from becoming socialist and oh, so much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This, this is the Buck Sexton, Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small make. make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It
1: is Buck Sexton.
0: Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you joining me here today, although I do not come with particularly uh, inspiring news about what's happening in this country, although it's stuff that you have to know. That's why I know a lot of you come in, you listen to this show, because I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. I'm going to tell you what's really going on, what's really happening in this country. Okay, I have been speaking the last few days to senior folks, all the way down also within the command chain at Immigrations and Customs Enforcement and at Border Patrol. And let me just tell you right now, um, we've got a big, big problem. Um, We've got a big problem happening right now at our southern border, and it's just going to get worse. It's going to be a situation where If we don't get a handle on this right now, it's going to be too late. You're going to have a flood of a million this year, a million next year. I mean, how and how much by the think of all the family reunification stuff that's going to happen to it is out of control. And if you don't think that. My word on this is enough for you, we have the secretary of uh, Homeland Security, DHS, Kirsten Nielsen. Who's out there saying more or less what I'm telling you, which is that if we don't get a handle on this, if we don't uh, stop sticking our our heads in the sand and pretending like this problem isn't happening as a country, it's just going to be too late. We're just going to be in a circumstance that we can't pull ourselves out of. Here is Nielsen talking about this uh, earlier today. Play clip 10 illegal
1: immigration is simply spiraling out of control and threatening public safety and national security. We face a crisis, a real, serious, and sustained crisis at our borders. We have tens of thousands of illegal aliens arriving at our doorstep every month. We have drugs, criminals, and violence spilling into our country every week. And we have smugglers and traffickers profiting from human misery every single day by exploiting people who are seeking a better life, deceiving them about our laws and fueling everything from sexual slavery to child exploitation to the smuggling of illicit goods.
0: It's really not a crisis. It is a lot of crises. It is crisis pile the top crisis that affects cities across the country. It's not just about the border. This isn't abstract. This is the drugs that are flooding into a lot of small and and medium-sized cities across the country, killing tens of thousands of Americans. It is the strain on resources. I was seeing that they're expecting, I think, 40,000 illegal illegal aliens to be admitted to U.S. hospitals as soon as they, they go to the border, and then they go straight to the hospital for medical care. So just remember that the next time, you know, unfortunately, if you put like a nail through your hand or something, you have to go to the ER. When you're waiting, just understand that there are going to be people there that are getting their first line medical care who are legal aliens who came into the country in violation of our laws and they're going to get seen. You're going to pay for it and you get to wait. Especially if you live along the border, that's what's going to happen 40,000 people they expect. They're going to have to go into for hospital visits, for, for medical care. Now, keep in mind, they're generally not necessarily emergencies, but they take them to hospitals because that, they've got to get them seen quickly because they can't hold them. They're not allowed to hold them if they have children with them much longer. Now, much longer than I think it's a couple of days. Remember, there'll be nobody left in Guatemala at this rate. They said, uh, quoting somebody in the Washington Post earlier this week, everyone's, realize this, that the crisis is out of control. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, Border Patrol are absolutely overwhelmed. They have incidents where a hundred people, and this has happened dozens and dozens of times this year, a hundred people show up at the border and say, hey, here we are. Now put us on buses, feed us, give us medical care Uh, And then within a couple of days, let us let us free in the United States, never to be seen again by any U.S. authority. That's our system right now. I'm not exaggerating it. I'm not taking it out of context. That is what is happening right now. Remember, I mean, you, you look at Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, you look at what's going on in these countries and you understand that as more people figure this out, we are going to have an even bigger problem it's 70,000 migrants last month they're expecting a hundred thousand this month and I spoke to uh, a a chief of border patrol law enforcement operations uh, today on camera off camera and he's just saying that there's no penalty for this there's there's nothing there's no downside that comes from people coming to the border and doing Play play clip seven So without a consequence, without being able to deliver a consequence to these individuals for illegally crossing our borders, uh, the Border Patrol has no reason to expect that this trend will decrease. In fact, we believe it will increase. Why wouldn't it increase? All you have to do is show up with a kid or show up and claim credible fear and you're in. It's almost hard to believe that our system is as foolish and open to exploitation as it is. I mean, we are being scammed on a massive and systematic level. And as as a citizen, I mean, you should probably sit around feeling pretty angry about it. I'll be honest with you. I know I am. You know, Lindsey Graham, who's not particularly strong on the border, but he at least understands some of these numbers that have come out recently. Play clip eight. There are about 45,000 bed spaces. We're on track to apprehend in 2019
2: 640,000 illegal immigrants. Do the math. If you're an unaccompanied minor and you make it to America after 20 days, the Border Patrol hands you over to the
1: labor HHS and only 2% of unaccompanied minors ever go back to the country where they came from.
2: It's just stunning the amount of people coming, particularly
0: families. And the reason they come is we've got some pretty broken laws. Very important distinction that I want to tell you about, which it doesn't come up often in, in the discourse in the media about this. The illegal immigration we're seeing now is much worse from a process and a systems perspective than what we were dealing with ever from Mexico because you cannot quickly uh, deport people who come illegally from Central America. You can't just kick them out into Mexico. If they're not Mexican nationals, it's a much harder and longer process. So when caravans from Honduras or Guatemala get to the U.S. border, unlike Mexican Predominantly Mexican illegal immigration in the '90s and early 2000s, they didn't. They could have been uh, deported within a day. Sent back to Mexico. That was happening all the time in large numbers. These Central American migrants, if they get to the border, they are home free. They're in this country because you cannot immediately deport to uh, for the, the contiguous countries of Mexico and Canada that have U.S. Bo- that have uh, borders with the United States we can't just take citizens, uh, foreign nationals from other countries and say, well, now it's Mexico's problem. We won't do that. So when people come here that aren't from Mexico or Canada, it automatically slows down the process and makes it much harder, which means that all you have to do if you're from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, maybe soon Venezuela. I asked the border chief about that today. He said, yeah, they're really worried about Venezuela. People say, oh, the caravans will never make it. It's too far. Yeah, it's called a bus or a train or both. The last round of caravans made it from Central America, Venezuela. It's not that far. It's not that unthinkable. And it's not going to stop. And this is what now everyone's starting to realize. This isn't a sometime problem. This is a our immigration system is now truly broken. And it is absolutely a crisis. We'll get into more of this team uh, coming up in just a moment. Stay with me.
1: Yesterday, we announced that the numbers of apprehension at our southern border have spiked again substantially. Since last year, we have been seeing 50 to 60,000 migrants arrive at our southern border each month. But in February, we saw a 30% jump over the previous month, with agents apprehending or encountering nearly 75,000 aliens. This is an 80% increase over the same time last year. And I report today that CBP is forecasting the problem will get even worse this spring as the weather warms up. The projections are dire. The agency is now on track to apprehend more migrants crossing illegally in the first six months of this fiscal year than the entirety of FY17. And at the current pace, we are on track to encounter close to one million illegal aliens at our southern border this year. Our capacity is already severely restrained, but these increases will overwhelm the system entirely.
0: Overwhelm the system entirely. This is not an accident. I've been saying it here to you on the show. This is straight out of the Alinsky playbook. Find out what their rules are. Forget about what good faith or, or integrity would tell you to do. Exploit the seams in their system. Overwhelm their system. Bring it down. You could make a case right now, and with Trump as the president, that we are more in danger of becoming a true open borders country than we ever have before, which is a very discouraging thing to have to say, but it is true. Unless the law changes, this is going to continue. It's going to get worse. And you have to look at this from the perspective of the politicians who are going to be making calculations. And as we know, they make calculations mostly to benefit themselves and their careers. And, you know, if they're going to leave, their their lobbying fees that they'll get on the outside. With 12 million illegals in the country officially, more like 20 or 30 in reality, And now with another million or so planned to come in this year or expected to come in this year, does anyone think that there will be a a surge in political courage on this issue? We are way behind where we should be right now. Um, And the political gravity is unfortunately pulling us further and further in the direction of being a de facto open border state. That is just the truth. An open border state where if you show up and you want to be in this country and you don't have, a, you know, you don't immediately set off alarms as being a terrorist or something else. I mean, they're going to get to stay here. You're going to get to stay here. And this brings me to the, the, the fundamental differences between how Democrats and Republicans see this issue. Although not all Republicans, some Republicans are terrible on this. Sovereignty, is that really a thing that the left believes in? We need to push them on this, and we need to understand why we think sovereignty matters. You know, yes, there are uh, claims, I think, it was, wasn't a Reagan, right? If you don't have borders, you don't have a country. Uh, this has been known for a long time, but why is that the case? Well, if we can't control who is in this family, so to speak, that we call America— then what is America? What is this idea? Is it just power? Is it just force? Systems that are in place? There's nothing about the American people because the American people are cha- would be changing all the time without any respect for the very systems that are in place to determine who's an American. So does sovereignty matter? I think the answer for Democrats is no, sovereignty doesn't matter. All that matters to them is that they want more votes. They want more dependable Democrat voters, people who are going to be very easily co-opted into the intersectional, social justice, racially divided country that the Democrats want because that's what their coalition is built on. That's how they want to control people. So there's, there's that component of it. Is sovereignty something that is even desirable from a Democrat point of view? And I think the answer is, they, w- they won't say this, but I do think the answer is no. They don't find it to be desirable. They think it's unnecessary. Sovereignty is unnecessary. And then you get into the other question, which is, given that, is, is illegal immigration a problem? And I could cite all kinds of evidence, and I, I think I have done so on this show at some length, to show that for Democrats, no, they don't think illegal immigration is a problem. It's not something that, that they think is an issue for which any response is needed other than managing it and trying to leverage it, trying to benefit from it. Democrats don't get upset at the idea of somebody sneaking into this country and just staying here and working and doing, you know. Meanwhile, if you decide not to pay your taxes, you're a bad American, you're a bad person your taxes mean nothing to this country as an individual nothing you are, you are taking an eyedropper and you know dropping a uh, dropping some water in the ocean it means nothing but if you don't pay your taxes you're going to go to prison you're a bad person if you come into this country illegally you're actually according to the democrats better than an american they, they, they're really, they're kind of super Americans. The, the new Americans to the left that are illegal immigrants, they don't have to go through the legal process. They don't have to be legal Americans. They're better than Americans. This is what they've been saying. I'm, I'm not making it up. You've heard them. Lower crime rates than native-born Americans. Work harder than native-born Americans. Do jobs native-born Americans won't do. So they don't oppose illegal immigration, which means that we do not have partners in this. And all they have to do, And this is what's truly, I'm sorry, I don't have a lot of sweet sweet things to say about the immigration situation right now. I don't have a lot of positive thinking on this one. I'm just telling you what's going on. And I'm talking to people at the very top of the immigration enforcement food chain now on a regular basis. And This is not good. Um, But they, the Democrats clearly favor continued uh, illegal immigration and all they have to do is hang on to the status quo. The status quo is that this is going to keep going and going and going. There'll be more of this, more people coming to the country, and they'll figure out when they get here very quickly that there's one party that thinks that we have laws and sovereignty and an immigration system that should be respected, the Republican Party, and even that is shaky. Even Republicans on this one are a little shaky. And then you have another party that's like, no, the more the merrier, just come come here however you want. Just make sure you register Democrat, and we, we sign you up for the welfare rolls as quickly as possible so that the evil, rich, capitalist, bad Republicans can you know, pay for everything. Even though, as we know, you know, there's um, more the Democrats have more than their fair share of the super rich. So this is the circumstance right now. They just have to be intransigent and do nothing. Doing nothing favors the Democrats de facto open borders desires. And one thing that we know the government is really good at when it wants to is just sloth, do nothing, status quo. Well, the continuation of the status quo at our southern border is going to be a massive flood of not just a million this year. It's going to be a million this year. It's going to be a million next year. It's going to keep happening and happening and happening. It will transform this country while President Trump is still in office. That is stark, but that is the truth. I'll be right back.
2: It is absolutely abhorrent that Democrats are still refusing to acknowledge the crisis on the border, particularly when Barack Obama himself even called it a crisis in 2014. We know exactly what it is, and it's time they start doing their jobs and actually fixing it. They should follow the president. He is actually leading. If Congress didn't want him to declare a national emergency, they should have done their jobs and actually fixed the problem.
0: There has been so much dishonesty in the last few months over what's happening at the border. And, and the, the border, like abortion, which we'll talk about later on in the show, is one of these areas where the media have just been propagandists for all that is wrong and bad and untrue and, and false. You've been lied to about immigration for so long, so many times. I have too. I mean, we have been lied to about immigration so much that it is hard to... To keep track, let me give you a couple of, I think, particularly worthwhile examples here. One is we finally, and it's because of Trump, because of the Trump administration, but we finally reached a point where when people would say, Walls don't work, walls don't work, we could say, That is the dumbest thing a human being could say about this issue. Of course, walls work. Walls work in a variety of contexts. This is like saying a wheel doesn't work. It's so dumb that when you think about it, it's amazing that anybody could say that publicly, think they're winning a debate with it, and that you had so many people repeating this. I would talk to Libs. They'd say, well, uh, the experts say... They would say the experts say walls don't work. Thankfully, I have the uh, access and the contacts now to be able to talk to the experts on immigration and the border and go see it for myself. And yeah, walls work, obviously. So you were lied to about that. And they have finally, although they'll probably go back and pretend like, you know, nothing ever happened and we didn't find out anything. They finally now, I think, will have to step away from that chant of stupidity in arguments to bleat that like the sheep in Animal Farm. They no longer will be able to get, a, get away with that. Walls don't work. Four legs good, two legs bad. They won't be able to do that. But we see another issue where they were just lying. And unfortunately, uh, they did it to some effect because even some Republicans defected on this one. And that was that there's no crisis at the border. There's no crisis at the border. This is a patently false lie. Uh, This is something that never should have been uttered by any serious person in this country because the border is now just a series of crises. There are many crises going on at the border. (laughs) One thing that I've noticed that happens is you have uh, Democrats now that will say, well, it's a it's a it's not a crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. That's a crisis, you know. This would be like saying, it's not chicken, it's teriyaki chicken. Pretty sure it's still chicken. You know, they, they really just get so wrapped around saying things that they hear other leftists say that they never really spend any time thinking about what am I really, what claim am I really making? Right, so, oh, it's not it's not a it's a humanitarian crisis. Well, no, it's also a security crisis. So that's not even a true statement, but... You know, to say that it's not a crisis at all is just, it's just a lie. It's a lie. They've been lying about this. And then underneath that lie were a couple of others. The one that annoyed me the most, and this was deployed, and this was a talking point that I, I, it almost felt like this must have been emailed out by the DNC and, you know, the The left wing intelligentsia, such as they are, right? The pajama boy mafia came together and came up with oh, what we need to do is tell everybody that the number of illegal crossings is historically, by historical standards, not really that high. So this isn't really that big a deal. You know, you'd hear that. They'd say the number, in fact, you had Democrats saying the numbers are at historic lows. This is like saying, Three months after 9-11, you know, we've had very little terrorism in this country if you exclude nine eleven. Well, that's a really useful, useful way to look at it, isn't it? Uh, because what they've done now is say, oh, the number of illegals in this country right now or the number of people that are coming into the country illegally isn't as bad as it was in 2005 or in the 1990s. So that means that it's not bad. That's not true on every level. I mean, that that's. In, in many ways, it's worse than what it was. And, and, you know, as I've been telling you, worse than what it was in the 90s. Uh, but also now, you know, we're on track to, to get a million crossings this year. I mean, a million people that are entering the United States, not through the standard immigration system. So, but that was another lie, right? There's not a crisis. The numbers aren't really that high. Walls don't work. These are, these are, it's just lie after lie after lie. They just don't care as long as they had their talking points in order so that when Trump declared a national emergency, which this manifestly is, it could not be more clear that we are dealing with a national emergency. Public opinion wouldn't be solidly behind Trump on this one. This was a propaganda fight, and unfortunately, the Democrats got a fair amount of mileage out of their lies. I mean, I I heard that lie about uh, about how the numbers really aren't that high from I heard it all over the place. Oh, yeah. Seventy thousand a month last month. That's not high. It's supposed to be one hundred thousand this month. That's not high. But it it worked. You know, it worked just this is just what the Democrats do. It's like the the approach with Kavanaugh. They knew that all the stories were going to fall apart and that those women were either liars or or had just honestly a screw loose. And. They knew that it wasn't going to stand up, but it didn't matter because they were trying to achieve something, which was to block his nomination to the Supreme Court. So by the time the truth came out, because they're not truthful people, because they don't have any integrity to protect, didn't matter. It served its purpose. Unfortunately. What has happened now is the Democrats have convinced enough people, including some Republicans, that this isn't a national emergency or this isn't a A good usage of the president's national emergency powers when this is the best usage of the president's national emergency powers that I can think of uh, off the top of my head, other than, you know, natural disaster relief. And, you know, this is turning into a disaster as much as Democrats may may wish that were not the case. It is the case. And I'm hoping that there'll be some accountability at the ballot box for this in 2020, although I know between now and then it's a it feels like a lifetime. It is a lifetime in politics. Uh, But they've been they've been so just full of it on this issue. And it's been frustrating to see how little uh, how little headway we've really made, because I, I can't I can't avoid the conclusion that this is not the secure border that President Trump promised. I'm sorry it is not. We are at Obama levels of illegal crossings right now. We are at, um, you know, the illegal immigration equivalent of DEFCON 2. And this is happening under the Trump presidency, the guy who ran on build the wall and secure the border and give border patrol. And this is where we are. I'm not saying clearly I'm not saying we give up, but I can't help but say that this is it is discouraging this this is discouraging there's no way around that you know it would be it would be dishonest it's impossible it is impossible to sit here and tell you that we should be this is where we should be on the immigration issue right now i thought we'd be talking about you know trying to fix health care and you know bringing the troops home and there are a lot of things that i want to. right now this is the biggest issue in the country and uh President Trump needs to do a lot more because right now we're not getting it done.
1: Smugglers and traffickers have caught on realizing that the outdated laws, lack of resources, and bad court decisions effectively give them a free ticket into America. The flow of families and children has become a flood. In the past five years, we have seen a 620 percent increase in families, or those posing as families, apprehended at the border. And of great concern to me is that the children are being used as pawns to get into our country we have encountered in cycling recycling rings where innocent young people are used multiple times to help aliens gain illegal entry.
0: That's uh, secretary of DHS Nielsen saying that kids are at the heart of this problem right now because kids are being used by adults, including by the cartels, by human smuggling networks in order to gain entry into this country. Now, a lot of the kids are, mem- are members of family units, but we are not supposed to have a system where if you have a kid, you get to just come to America. That is now the system that we have. And by creating this enormous magnet effect, because kids are so valuable in this process, it just means that there are even more people who are going to bring children along for what is still a very dangerous journey. Uh, they're going through cartel controlled territory. They are often exposed to the, you know, the elements, and obviously there's a tremendous amount of sexual assault that occurs as well. So for young young females who are making this journey, that's always a major concern. Uh, but what we're going to see happening now is that the Democrats who, by their policies have encouraged this. The Democrats are encouraging this to continue happening. They have no problem with adults using kids as a skip the line maneuver at our southern border to get into this country scot-free, free free and clear. Democrats have no problem with this. I, I have yet to hear a Democrat who has an issue with this. They all say, oh, they're just seeking asylum. No, they're not. These aren't asylees. These are migrants. These people want to come to America. And yeah, a lot of them want to come to America because we have some pretty sweet welfare benefits and a lot of organizations that exist specifically to cater to the needs of illegal aliens, legal aid organizations and all kinds of stuff. Now, I mean, we have an entire illegal alien infrastructure in this country. And now we have increasingly illegal aliens who are demanding more things and city and state governments who are giving it to them. So, I mean, it's... The incentives here are very clear for people to try to get into this country from what they call the Northern Triangle of Central America, Honduras. uh, Is it Honduras, El Salvador and Guatemala or Honduras, Guatemala and Nicaragua? Close enough. Those countries are all pretty much what we're talking about right now. But you're going to hear a lot of emotional stuff from the Democrats about how this is about children and how dare you and you're so terrible. And they are going to hammer Trump and all of the agencies involved here for the family separation policy at the border last summer. Now, let me say that the family separation policy was initially implemented with an idea that we need to convince people to stop showing up at the border with kids because they know they'll be let in if they have kids and they overwhelm the system and they create risks for those children and they're also cheating the system in the process because this is not what this this is not how this is meant to go. So that's why they did family separation now. The human reality of separating parents from their children, obviously this was uh, a terrible look for the administration. they backed off of it but they understood one thing that Democrats don't understand. If you don't shut off the benefits, if you don't stop this from being a successful plan, more and more people are going to use this plan. And the only people right now who can change it are Congress. And they're not planning to do anything about this. In fact, what we know is that the Congress is going to spend a lot of time, you know, pounding their chests about how much they care about people you know, fleeing oppression and fleeing violence and that these are asylum seekers. It's just like they're leaving, a, you know, the, the Syrian civil war or something. That's what you're going to hear. And you're going to hear a lot of grandstanding, as we did today, over the issue of children and, and family separation. So here is an example of that from uh, Congresswoman Barragan, who I've never heard of before. Uh, but she was yelling at DHS Secretary Nielsen, play clip twelve
1: so in the meantime you didn't do anything at all and you let kids be separated without tracking them do you know how outrageous that is madam secretary you have no feeling no compassion no no empathy here my heart breaks for the system that we have it does not allow us to help vulnerable populations as soon in their journey as we need to help them There is nothing humane about a system that contemplates what we see today, that contemplates 60,000 children coming across the border unaccompanied.
0: Now, let me tell you, the system that we have, the flaws in this system right now that are being exploited on a massive scale, those flaws are the responsibility of Congress, It's really not DHS's fault at all. It's not Border Patrol's fault at all. It's not Immigration and Customs Enforcement's fault. It's Congress's fault. They are the ones that have left enough leeway in the laws for then immigration judges who are, from what I can see, a lot of them basically commies. I mean, just way far left open borders advocates, because what better way to be an open borders advocate than to be an immigration judge? what, What better way to get your ideology to really matter than to just say, oh, keep on coming, keep on letting them stay, bring them in. But the truth is the system is broken because of Congress. It's because they refuse to do anything about the laws that encourage people to bring their children here, that people keep bringing their children here, and then they overwhelm the system, and it's just so easy For members of Congress like Berrigan to sit there and harangue Nielsen of DHS and act like this is somehow the fault of these federal employees that are just doing what they are supposed to be doing in this in this system. Uh, When what we really have here is the Democrats and it started with Obama. It started with the way that they were enforcing and not enforcing law at the border, and they, they, they opened this door a little bit. Now it's been blasted off the hinges. Now we are expecting a true flood, and there is nothing that we can do, nothing that legally can be done without Congress acting that will stop this. So they can yell about kids and separation and all this stuff as much as they want. At the end of the day, the real problem here is in fact our immigration laws and that they have finally, the left and the open borders advocates, they've found a loophole that they've exploited so much that they have broken the system. The one constant in my day, other than love of freedom, is love of Black Rifle coffee, my friends. It's an American institution to start your day with the most patriotic freedom-loving coffee ever. That's why I always get it kicking with Black Rifle. And I've got people in my office drinking it now. I've got my colleagues drinking it. My family drinks it. It's delicious coffee. A whole bunch of different blends you can pick from. And man, it's got a nice kick. If you're like me and you like a bit of the caffeine in the morning, Black Rifle gets you fired up. Plus, they give a portion of their sales to veteran and first responder causes. Forget whatever other coffee you're drinking. You need to drink Black Rifle Coffee. Get with the good stuff. While liberals threaten to further tax your hard-earned money with their socialism, Black Rifle Coffee is fueling the fight for freedom by upping their offer, get this, to 20% off. Take advantage by visiting blackriflecoffee.com buck and receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's blackriflecoffee.com buck for 20% off. Blackriflecoffee.com buck. Putting socialism on trial, and I'm going to convict it as well. This business about fairness and income
1: redistribution and socialism, this is just a smokescreen. The Democrats are playing a recession card. The rest of the country is in prosperity. Facts. Before I was a Marxist, I was an empiricist, and I stayed an empiricist. And with the
0: passing years, I simply, as I looked into more and more things, I saw the difference between uh, reality and the rhetoric. Unfortunately, so many people today, including in the leading universities, don't pay much attention to evidence. When you see people starving in Venezuela and fleeing into neighboring countries and realize that this is a country that once had the world's largest oil reserves, you realize that they've uh, ruined a very good prospect with ideas that sounded good but didn't turn out well. Ideas that sound good but are disastrous. That's really the defining characteristic of socialism. It always sounds good. And I think that we're, uh, voices like Dr. Thomas Sowell there, who can speak to the really the underlying ideology that's at work here, the beliefs, the, the uh, things that are held to be true about it that are untrue, uh, the, the root fallacies of socialism, that's where we have to go now. It's not enough to just say socialism stinks and look at Venezuela No, we have to publicly and I I, I think with with some wisdom and and some skill, pull apart these ideas because we are much closer. You know, with the Ocasio-Cortez rise and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, we are much closer to a socialist future than I think most of us on the right realize. We are $22 trillion in debt. There is going to be a reset. It's going to happen, folks. It's going to happen. There will be an economic downturn that could be a depression, that could be a catastrophe. We just simply don't know. Remember that right before the crash of 2008— In 2007, everyone thought that our economy was invincible. The housing market was bulletproof. Everything was perfect and great and wonderful and fine. And then, oh, we almost lost the global economy. That was a decade ago. That was not even just within living memory. That was not long ago. And we didn't deal with the many of the structural, the underlying problems. Um, The banks are still very, very big. Our debt, however, has gotten much, much bigger. The only way we've been able to forestall the inevitable pain is by coming up with some, uh, with, with essentially zero interest rate, zero interest rate future, and and that's not sustainable forever. And what we're going to see is as we get higher and higher, or deeper and deeper, there's going to be consequences. And I bring this up not just because. I'm disappointed that conservatism has largely abandoned fiscal responsibility because we have we have. I I, do. Do you ever hear uh, for all the nice things that Trump does and says and for all the stuff that I really uh, appreciate this president for? When was the last time you really heard a rousing speech about how the debt is out of control and this is going to break us? And I don't want to scare you. Maybe I do a little bit, but. The history of fiat currency, you know, currency that is not actually tied to anything other than a government promise to pay something, uh, is is very uh, consistent in one way, and that is the history of uh, fiat currency is that eventually the government always uh, takes actions that make it worth zero. Eventually, fiat currency goes to zero; it collapses. And we think right now that because we have the global reserve currency and we're American, we're the best, we kick butt, rah, rah, all that stuff. Yes, that's true, but $22 trillion in debt is a lot of money. And under the Obama administration, I think, although I'd have to check this, I think that more was added to the national debt than if you added up every president before Obama combined. That is true. And Trump is responsible only— That is true? Thank you, Mike. I figured that was true. Usually when I say things like that, I'm right. So now we have a Republican president. We have a prosperous economy. Things are pretty good. We got a guy who's a realist and a capitalist, thank heavens. But he has to spend some of his political capital to come up with a way to tackle this problem, to begin to bend the curve in the other direction. Because right now the green new deal and cow farts and no air travel. And like, yeah, like I'm just really big on social media. My name is AOC and like, I'm the most powerful Democrat. Cause I'm just like more powerful than a man. And like, whatever, uh, we can do that. We can make fun of it. And I do, and that's all fine, but it's not nearly as funny, nor is it as easy to brush aside if all of a sudden people are by the millions losing their jobs losing their homes Uh, I mean that's obviously catastrophic and horrible what I'm saying is socialism isn't, isn't something you make fun of then because what happens when people become fearful what happens when the economy that they think that they have known the one that has been there been a a, an anchor of stability in their lives right i i know the US dollar is going to maintain value i know the u.s stock market and the housing market and you know these are these are things that are just always going to be working in my favor i do i do things right i play by the rules i will build uh, i will build security and i will build prosperity for myself right that look this is the American dream right folks i mean that's what it is if that is taken away from millions perhaps tens of millions of americans and it can happen very it almost happened in 2008 it can happen very easily and once it begins to happen it's impossible to to shut it off then when people are fearful and angry and feel like they have been screwed over by the system when someone comes along and says you're right the rich people cuz let's be honest our system is basically still run by rich people it is the plutocrats they do make they do make the decisions but the rich people are the problem they kept you down they filled their pockets while you were struggling and working all you know in, who do I start to sound like start to sound like bernie sanders right you start to sound like elizabeth warren start to sound like the far left of the democrat party but what is right now an appealing message to mostly left-wing wackos who live on the coasts and have no connection to economic reality sounds a lot more compelling to people who live in Indiana and Missouri and, you know, Alabama. And if they lose their job, they lose their house because the U.S. economy craters. It's an, it's a rational thing for them to say, well, that didn't work socialism and and this is a very important part of the history that they don't teach in schools socialism that led to the nightmares of nazism and communism and you know the the german nazi regime the soviet union they were popular the reason they were able to take power these ideas were popular because of the great depression because people said i've lost everything this is all a scam this is a sham So sure, what we need is a society that is founded not on on individual rights and property and the prosperity that comes from hard work that you benefit from, but from shared labor, from a collectivist approach. It was popular after the Great Depression. That's why it happened. That's why. And people looked at this. They thought that capitalism had failed. That's the only way the Soviet Union was able to become what it was. If we head down a path of true economic pain, it doesn't have to last that long, I can assure you there will be enough people in this country who are fed up and who are scared that they turn to the state for salvation, and that will mean socialism. And our only real defense against this is to educate one another about what socialism has been and what it would be in this country. So... We mock it sometimes, but we have to take it very seriously most of the time. We'll be right back. Team, my friend Mark Buckman is the CEO of Global Verification Network, and he is building a great American company that is veteran-owned and operated that does anything you need in the background investigation and vetting space. Global Verification also differentiates itself from the competition by, one, giving you great customer service. And when you call them, you're going to get them on the phone and get your questions answered right away. And also, they don't outsource any of the work that they do. Their risk mitigation experts handle it all here in the States. So give them a call today for your business, any size, large or small, to have your background checks done efficiently and quickly. Make sure you go to my friends at Global Verification Network. That's 877-695-1179, again, 877-695-1179, or go to mygvn.com, again, that's mygvn.com, Global Verification Network, leave no stone unturned. I think Robert Mueller wants to be able to um, conclude his work and turn over the investigative threads to the Southern District of New York, the Eastern District of Virginia, and other jurisdictions as appropriate, um, as we're coming up to two years. So I think he does want to conclude that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, this week on Friday, not knowing anything about it, but Friday is the day that the grand jury indictments come down. Brennan, formerly CIA director, and I say that, I almost feel a a twinge of shame to be associated with an organization in my past that that guy could have been in charge of. Brennan, Clapper, Clapper was the DNI. These people have made such mockeries of their agencies and and of the kind of people that are in charge in the intelligence community. But there you have Brennan making a, a little, oh, let's get the MSNBC audience excited prediction about how, oh, no, he doesn't have any inside knowledge. Oh, no, of course not but he thinks there might be more indictments coming down on Friday. Uh, they're going to keep this going until the very, very end. I think it's interesting. The analysis I saw of this today was that there are some now in the left-wing camp who think that the final, the final act of the Mueller probe, this, this is the story they're telling themselves so that they can sleep at night. I, I don't believe this, but this is what they're telling themselves. The left-wingers. They're all dug in on this one. They don't want it. They don't want to give it up. They don't want to let this go. They think that the way this finally ends is that Mueller's team indicts a member of Trump's family, probably one of his sons, and uh, that you know that's the way. And then Trump will fire Mueller and cause this huge catastrophe and. These people are nuts. And Producer Mike is telling me he thinks they're going to keep it going until 2024. I mean, I certainly hope not. I've been all along somebody who's said that they're going to keep this thing. They don't want this thing shut down ever. And they know that just having it there in the background, grinding away, that's the purpose of this. The process is the punishment. Just by having a special counsel that can get all these subpoenas and do all this stuff. You know, today on Rising, I had a congressman... Oh, uh, okay. He's from Maryland. He's on the Judiciary Committee. I can't even remember the guy's name. A lot of these Democrat congressmen, they just kind of blend together in my head because they all say the same crap. It's all really a variation of what Jerry Nadler said, and I believe my friend Molly Hemingway from the Federalist broke this story because she heard him saying it on the Acela train that, oh no, they're they're not going to say that they're going to impeach and and that they're going to be doing you know, that this is building toward impeachment, they're just going to be doing oversight, you see. That's what, this is just oversight. I mean, the abuse of the term oversight that you will see from Democrats over the next 18 months or so is going to make your head spin. What what does oversight have to do with seeing what's in Trump's tax returns from, you know, decades ago? How is that congressional oversight? Is it congressional oversight to demand Trump's college transcripts? I don't, even, I don't even know if he's released them, by the way. I, I have no idea. Uh, I know that Obama never released his college transcripts. And people would always say, Buck, don't bring that up. That's a birther conspiracy. No, it's not a conspiracy because Obama did not and pointedly did not release them. John Kerry released his. George W. Bush released his. Al Gore released his. You know, go down the list. They all released their college transcripts. And yeah, they were mediocre students that got into fancy Ivy League schools. Uh, because of who mom, you know, because of who Daddy was, usually not Mommy, but because of who Daddy was, that's true. Of George W. Bush, it's true. Of John Kerry. I mean, these guys were not intellectual heavyweights at all. And Al Gore, same thing. I have to get a better Al Gore impersonation. I'm working on it. I I, I don't have one that's really ready for prime time. Um, I need to listen to more. But Al Gore is kind of a peripheral figure, so I don't really have. I don't really want to devote the time to to getting a better Al Gore impersonation. Um, but Obama didn't release his transcript. I mean, people always said that they would call this a birther conspiracy and and that because he was a foreign student, that was how it was supposed to go. And all that. no, no, I never thought that was the case. I just think that, you know, Obama was a guy who went to Occidental College and was a very mediocre student who smoked a lot of pot and did other drugs, as he's admitted. And then somehow got into Columbia and somehow was on, uh, got into Harvard Law and Harvard Law Review. Very, very difficult position to get without ever really writing or publishing anything. And I think what it would have shown is that he was a guy who benefited tremendously from affirmative action. And that just wasn't supposed to be a part of the narrative. You know, this is, that's another place where Democrats get very very testy about things, right? I mean, you know, affirmative action, they'll defend to the hilt, but we can never talk about affirmative action and, and who benefits from it and what it really does. Uh, so that was why they didn't want to unseal the records of Obama in college because it would have shown that, I mean, I think he was probably, a, you know, a C or a B minus kind of student, which is fine. I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying that it would have found anything great, but that would have gone against the narrative that Obama was... Some kind of super genius. He was a super genius. I'm going to give her a speech. I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to write off a prompter. And I'm going to create a straw man. And I'm going to destroy the straw strawman, Because uh, the media says I'm a genius. Right. He had all that stuff going on. And as we know, the guy wasn't a genius. Uh, but he was president for eight years and did drag the country very far left. We are still dealing with the ramifications of Obamaism today. But the point I'm making here is that. Oversight is not, I want to see what the president had for lunch six years ago. You know, I want to know what the president's prom date says about him now. You know, that's not oversight. That's a fishing expedition, which is what the Congress, led by the Democrats in the House, now plans to do. And I think that Trump needs to fight fire with fire. I've always thought that he held back on the declassification of the uh, information around the Russia origin, Russia investigation origins, as well as the FISA abuses and all that, he's keeping that for a rainy day, because he knows they're going to come out with all this stuff, and once people see what a sham, what an absolute sham the FBI's counterintelligence investigation into Trump and the Trump campaign, they'll, they'll ne- look, they'll probably never believe the FBI in a politicized investigation ever again. I mean, they'll realize that this is an organization that is Deeply tainted, but that's why when I ask, and producer Mike gave me the heads up here, yes, Jamie Raskin, it was Congressman Raskin, that's who I interviewed today. I just couldn't even remember the guy's name. Uh, when you ask Raskin, what are you trying to accomplish here? It's it is just harassment. It's just find a way to annoy this president into submission, to make the people around him feel pressure, to make them feel like you know their day is going to come and they're going to get in trouble and. They're going to have to spend crazy amounts of money on uh, lawyers. And, you know, that's the real purpose of all of this. And so they can keep talking about we're doing oversight in the Congress. They're not going to pass any laws. They're not going to take any worthwhile action. Obviously, I'm very discouraged by the fact that I don't think they're going to be able to get Congress to pass a law to deal with the legitimate, growing, and out of control crisis at our southern border we're not going to get congress to do anything on that so really what the congress is going to do is just more versions of what we've already seen which is harass this president find a way to annoy slow down uh you know stymie president trump and his agenda and his team and that they're abusing the systems and processes uh, processes of government to do this Is disgraceful, but they're Democrats, so what else do we expect? We're talking about uh, Rep. Omar for her anti-Semitic statements. Uh, She has anti-Israel positions, pro-BDS, but also keep in mind that she's requested leniency for ISIS fighters. Uh, She blamed U.S. foreign policy for the al-Shabaab attack in Kenya. She's pro-Maduro in Venezuela, so for many reasons, she shouldn't have been appointed to this committee in the first place. I've spoken to, to, to House Democrats uh, who are very upset with what Congresswoman
1: Omar has said. Many of them have stated it publicly. They wanted a resolution that's more strongly worded. But the problem is, is you have a few freshman Democrats, uh, in particular, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and, and even Congresswoman Omar, uh,
0: leading their party rather uh, rather than being led by it. So how is it that you get such radical left-wing individuals not just in the congress but in the case of ilhan omar who's stirred up so much controversy for her comments recently her anti-semitic comments how is it that they get put on the, or someone like omar would get put on the house foreign affairs committee uh, trying to direct the foreign policy of the united states that does tell us something about the direction of the democrat party doesn't it but here's where well as you know, you can uh, you can count on the Democrats to engage in whataboutism and some kind of a distraction technique, and you know, they'll they'll always find some way to not deal with the issue at hand to make it about something else. Chuck Schumer stepping in right in time for that one. Play clip two. What um, uh, Congress Congresswoman Omar said, I thought was wrong and hurtful. But I also want to say that what happened linking all Muslims to the terrorist attack was wrong and hurtful, and both should be condemned. Ah, uh, there we go. This is always the—this is the maneuver now. When you when you have a Democrat who is, has done something or said something that is truly indefensible, you go with the whataboutism right away. Now, Now, I don't agree with a lot of— The accusations of whataboutism that involve, for example, Trump and Hillary, because it's not whataboutism to say that the Department of Justice treats Democrats differently than Republicans. It's not whataboutism to say that if Hillary Clinton had been a Republican and not Hillary Clinton, she would have been prosecuted and probably had to spend some time in jail for breaking the Espionage Act over 100 different times for violating that law. That's not what about it. So, so when they go after Trump on a legal issue and I say, well, look look at Hillary, that's a look at the disparate justiceism. That's not what about it. What about is Ilhan Omar said something anti-Semitic, but, you know, some other guy, some other place in time who is a Republican said something racist or said something bad or you know, said mean things about Muslims. That has nothing to do with anything. This is just a distraction technique, pure and simple. But now here is uh, where team, you might want to huddle in for this one because this is let's just say this is for the radio the radio audience which I know is uh obviously not just you know, this is this isn't a small group folks. This is a, a a vast array of people across the country. So, but I always think that we're just sitting in a room together chatting. This is where I'll tell you that Uh, There's a part of this that everyone is aware of but doesn't really want to talk about. So I'll talk about it for a few minutes. Why would someone like Ilhan Omar, who is a member of Congress on the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, and and has gotten so much media attention, why would she clearly have these anti-Semitic impulses? Well, let's just say that there is a baseline in this country of what could be considered anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish views, right? Meaning that certain things that would be said, we would consider to be anti-Semitic. Just this is our perception of it. What I'm here to tell you, and this is partially from my time overseas, and then I got a little bit more of a glimpse into it in in this country in a very specific way, is that the Muslim world is full of anti-Semitism. I mean, if you want to find the most widespread, blatant, and and I mean up to and including uh, you know Nazi caricatures of Jews level anti-Semitism, you're not going to find more of it than you will in the anywhere than you will in the uh, Muslim world. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean okay that that's not the same thing as saying that every Muslim is anti-Semitic or anything. Of course not. Every individual is an individual. But when you're looking for places where anti-Semitism has found not just some cover, but has become mainstreamed. I mean, Egypt has had on on its biggest uh, TV channel, and this was maybe a decade or so ago, you know, will air will air a series about the protocols of the elders of Zion. Yes, Hamas is obviously a terrorist organization, but the Palestinian Authority, I mean Palestinian media and press, routinely, grotesquely caricatures, degrades, and debases Jews around the world. Focused often on Israel, but but also just Jews in general. This, is, this happens all over the Muslim world. And the difference is that no one thinks twice about it, really. It doesn't really get shouted down or any attention. It's become completely normalized in a lot of countries. And I know oh, they'll yell at me for this. Speak to speak to your average Iraqi about now. And by the way, I'm not saying that that they all take the most extreme anti that that they hate Jews or anything but speak to your average Iraqi or speak to your average Jordanian or average Egyptian. Not, not one in this country, not one who goes on TV in a very expensive suit and has a British accent and represents some organization. That's all about making sure that no one ever criticizes Islam. Cause we know there's a lot of that out there. No, no, no. I'm talking about speak to somebody from one of these countries and say, you know, do you think ask them questions about, Jewish control of certain organizations or countries or whatever it may be. And the answers will often floor you. Because you say, wait, this, I, this person seems like such a nice person. Why would they think this? Well, it's because in a lot of countries, anti-Semitism countries in the Muslim world, anti-Semitism is so prevalent as to no one even thinks about it. Now, I told you that there was, uh, I had some experience with this in this country. And it has to do with my I guess somewhat controversial times. It's only controversial to people that, you know, hate freedom in America and want the terrorists to win, but my time at the NYPD Intelligence Division when we would run criminal cases, but a lot of the criminal cases for counterterrorism investigations and these are investigations like the Faisal Shahzad Times Square bombing, Naji Bulazazi trying to bomb the subways, these are guys who were trained by jihadist organizations in South Asia. I mean, you know, these, these are the, the worst of the worst kind of guys. But some of the investigations that you haven't heard of um, took us into mosques. Uh, mosques do not have a uh, get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to criminal activity. Just because some, uh, a place is a mosque does not mean that you are not allowed to send informants in there. If they have a legitimate—now, of course, there are civil liberties concerns and religious freedom concerns here, but— now, if some guy says he wants to go blow up Harold Square is hanging out in a mosque, and that's the best place we can get an informant. Guess what? Someone in the, someone's going to be talking to him in the mosque. But another part of this, and you know, you won't. I know you won't. Uh, this is something that people don't want. A lot of people don't want to hear this, but it was standard because I would sit with uh, some of these different assets, you know, informants uh, that would go into. These mosques, and and I would, say, and if we, if we thought the imam was radicalized, for example, say was there anything that was you know espousing violence, or you know you try to get a sense of what's going on in the place because some of these mosques, by the way, are very the congregations, very small, but, you know, twenty or thirty people maybe, and you know what was the imam saying, and I'm just telling you that the amount of anti-Semitic stuff that was said in these mosques, ranging from Criticism of Israeli foreign policy that just was a little too, uh, a little too strong for it to just be about foreign policy. You know, I mean, there, there's sometimes it would be a little borderline, all the way to the most nasty anti-Semitic, talking about power, talking about control, talking about money stuff, and it was it was it was commonplace. It was commonplace. The Islamic world is. The single greatest source in the world now of anti-Semitism. That is just reality. Now the Islamic world has one or almost two billion now, 1.8 billion people. And you know, what percentage of of that is truly anti-Semitic? You know, I have no idea. And I'm, you know, there are tons of Muslims that are absolutely, you know, lovely people who have no problem with Jews whatsoever and are friends with them and married to them, and you know, fine. But Ilhan Omar's views on Israel, I can tell you right now, are at the and the ones that everyone's calling anti Semitic, and everyone is saying, "Oh, how could she?" And they're so terrible in a Muslim country, which she comes, uh, you know, she comes from her background is uh, as a as a Somali who came to this country in a in a Muslim country. They wouldn't. They wouldn't be. Not only would they not be considered anti-Semitic, they wouldn't even be considered particularly critical of Jews or Israel. I know you won't hear this on other shows. I'm here to tell you that is the truth. So that's why I listen to this place because got to give it to you straight, team. You are now entering the Freedom Hot Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know team buck is cleared Roger that. and ready for the buck brief if they're not willing to do it then i think president trump has been very clear they're not going to get relief from the crushing economic sanctions that have been imposed on them uh, and we'll look at ramping those sanctions
1: up in fact
0: i would be very disappointed if that were happening uh, it's a very early report we're the ones that put it out but uh, i would be very very disappointed
1: in chairman kim and I don't think I will be, but we'll see what happens. We'll take a look.
0: It'll ultimately get solved. This is one of these moments where you see the left rooting against not just the interests of America, but the interests of the international order, um, innocent people on the Korean Peninsula. Really, humanity takes a back seat here to the left's desire to own Drumpf, the evil orange man, bad man orange Drumpf, they just hate him so much. You know, As I've said to you before, when Obama gave the order to get bin Laden, I was uh, pleased and, and proud, to, proud to be an American and pleased with the Obama administration decision and didn't make any, you know, oh, well, this is bad because it will help Obama nonsense. And now here we are where something that clearly would be of tremendous benefit to all of humanity, really, if we could find a way to get North Korea off its nuclear war footing, which is really what it it continues to be on, um, that would be such a big win. And yet you can tell there are people who are actively rooting for the president to fail on this. Here's a story from CNN today. Speaking of rooting for the president to fail, satellite images appear to show that North Korea has begun rebuilding a portion of a facility Previously used to test long-range missile engines, analysts said Tuesday, raising potential questions about the future of U.S.-North Korea negotiations. The Center for Strategic Studies Beyond Parallel Project and 38 North, both respected North Korea monitoring websites, each said it had observed activity at the Tongjang-ri satellite launch facility, which has been dormant since about August of last year and is one of the few known missile component development facilities inside North Korea. So, we have, you know, early on here, there's some indication that there's more nuclear activity going on in North Korea. Now, let, let me just say, let me just state that this could be their version of a bluff, right? This could be their version of trying to Trump walked away in Hanoi. Trump said, "All right, you know, you you think that you think that we're going to relieve the sanctions without concrete steps on your end toward denuclearization and and verification procedures? Uh-uh, I'm out. So how does North Korea respond? Well now North Korea probably go, you know, the Kim Jong-un goes home and his military leadership says, well, we need to show them that, you know, we mean business too. And because they know that we have satellites and there's all kinds of monitoring going on in North Korea, right? They're they're very aware of that. And maybe they just ramp up a little bit of activity. Maybe they even, it's not just for show. Maybe they decide we're going to restart this facility and we'll use that as a bargaining chip the next time we sit down and talk, which is believed that that will happen at some point. But let's keep in mind here that the standard that Trump should be held to for success or failure here is first you look at his predecessors and every American president that had to deal with a nuclear North Korea failed to even turn the program around or pause the program for any meaningful length of time. They all failed. They were all swindled by Kim Jong-un. And so those from the previous administrations who want to say, oh, well, Trump doesn't know what he's doing. He should do this or that. I do have a moment where I have to think to myself, uh, why should anyone listen to the previous administrations? Trump has lots of advisors on this. He has access to the best expertise in the United States government, and I'm sure in the U.S. in general, probably around the world too. So it's not like he can't find out what should be done or what the experts think. He already knows that. As long as he does not abandon the sanctions, there is really no loss here. We're essentially going back to status quo, and I think that's an interesting way of setting up what expectations should be. Yes, Trump, he's a a deal maker. He's got a little bit of bluster. He's trying to say, you know, he's going to make all this stuff happen with North Korea. I think that part of it is his self-belief is a necessary component of the negotiation process, right? He has to really believe this if he's going to try to make this happen. And I also think that he's doing a lot of messaging that he hopes the North Koreans are picking up on and paying attention to. But he also is well aware of the Kim regime lying many times in the past and and playing all kinds of games. And I just think that it's too early to know if Trump's overtures here, here have failed. But even if they fail, it is not some great loss. We just go back to exactly where we were, although not even really because we have no missile launches and we have stronger sanctions than before Trump came into office. But we certainly haven't reverted. We haven't gone backwards in any meaningful way. That, I think, has to be Kept in mind as we move forward with these nuclear negotiations that the president's going to continue to do. And hopefully, the left, or at least more of the left, will realize that this isn't a Trump thing. This is a humanity thing. We want to stop a nuclear North Korea and a possible war. Everybody should be on board for that. You know, you may have a small 401k from a previous job that you had that you set up and you haven't done that much with. Guess what? While that old 401k paperwork is sitting around collecting dust. It actually could be working much harder in a precious metals IRA. That's why my friends at Noble Gold can see if you qualify and they'll do all the heavy lifting for you. They could make you a whole lot of money. It cost you nothing. So give Noble Gold a call at 877-646-5347 or text my name, that's Buck, B-U-C-K, to the number 511-511. Again, text Buck. To 511 511 to receive their free, totally free investor's guide. Plus, for all qualified IRAs above $20,000, they'll include a rare graded Morgan silver dollar, totally complimentary, valued at $150. Again, text Buck to 511 511 or go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Individual results may vary. Invest wisely. Standard tax rates apply. Are social media platforms biased against conservatives? Facebook, Twitter, You've been hearing about this for a while. I've been telling you about it for for years now because it is, in my opinion, obviously the case. We have ample evidence of this. We see it happening all the time. Well, we really got a window into it recently when on the Joe Rogan podcast, you had Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, a senior executive who works for him. I I don't remember her name off the top of my head. And a, a fellow named... Uh, I think Tim, Timcast, something like that. Uh, so his name is Tim. They discussed the allegations about Twitter banning conservatives. Now, before you tell me, Buck, I'm not on Twitter, I don't care, I'm listening to a radio show, I, you know, Twitter is for other folks or whatever, let me just say that that's fine, and, and that, that, that's totally, you know, you're well within your rights to feel that way, Um, And I I wish some days that I didn't have to deal with Twitter, but I can tell you that Twitter now does move the political conversation with the president in particular, really advancing it as a tool of instantaneous communication. Uh, Twitter is not something that the news media and the political conversation ignores anymore. It just doesn't. In fact, the the Ilhan Omar controversy about anti-Semitism really got started on Twitter So major national news stories now are the result of what people write and exchange and do on this platform. So it really does matter. And when we look at how much of an impact television and radio and other mediums have had on our perceptions in this country, I think there's a very clear case to be made that you need to think of social media like the new You know, the the new version of the radio when it when it came out early on or of television and the way that that was leveraged for political purposes. You know, now social media and social media is, I think, even more powerful in a lot of ways. But but here's and I want to just play this for you so you can hear. So this is from the Joe Rogan podcast. And there was this allegation about learn to code that was out there for a while. Right. If you or, or rather, if you said learn to code to somebody, you would get banned from Twitter. Learn to code, which is a funny joke. Right. And, and the reason it's a funny joke is because a lot of these progressive media types. Uh, when when there's a factory that closes somewhere or when coal miners in West Virginia or, you know, dock workers in uh, in, you know, Newport, Virginia or, you know, whatever, whenever there's a moment where people lose their jobs in what would be considered older industries, there then there are all these think pieces from the Vox.com beta mail set about how, oh, well, people just need to prepare for the jobs of the future and learn to code. Well, maybe journalists should learn to code. That's kind of the turning it around situation. But here is this discussion with Joe Rogan these other two. Uh, Joe Rogan, the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, and his, I don't know what she is, chief of like how to kick conservatives off. We'll play some of this for you. Play nineteen why are people being suspended for t- tweeting hashtag learn to code yep we we did some research on this
2: yes we did some research on this um so there was a, a situation in, i guess about a month ago or so where uh, a number of journalists were receiving a variety of tweets um some containing uh, learn to code some containing uh, a bunch of other uh, coded language that was wishes of harm These were thousands and thousands of tweets being directed at a handful of journalists. And we did some research and what we found was uh, a number of the accounts that were engaging in this behavior which is tweeting at the journalists with this either learn to code or things like day of the rope and other coded language uh, were actually um, ban evasion accounts that means accounts that had been previously suspended and we also learned that there was a targeted campaign being organized off our platform to abuse and harass these journalists that's not
0: true
1: so, uh, see, see, here's the thing. An activist who works pause,
0: for an- Pause. That guy, that guy, Tim, man, I like that he comes in there and just says it. She's just lied her face off there. I mean, that was just outrageous. Because I saw what was going on with Twitter and that whole situation, and I, I knew people who were getting in trouble. I have friends who have been suspended from Twitter. Raheem Kassam, Jesse Kelly. Uh, Raheem, I guess, was Facebook, actually. But I know people that, these are my friends and colleagues, get suspended from these social media platforms. To say that learn to code is also some kind of an implied threat. I mean, that's just changing around the, the plain meaning of words. That's just saying that words no longer have meaning. We'll just say whatever we want about words. And that's now the meaning. It's just nuts. Keep going, though. NBC
1: wrote that story, and then lobbied you, you issued an official statement, and then even the editor-in-chief of the Daily Caller got a suspension for tweeting Learn to Code at the, da- at the Daily Show.
2: So I have never talked to anybody from NBC about this issue, so I'm right, not but sure. They re-
1: no, so they report it, don't misrepresent me, they report it, the narrative goes far and wide amongst your circles, then all of a sudden you're seeing high-profile conservatives tweeting a joke getting suspensions.
2: So again, some of these tweets actually contained um, death threats, wishes of harm, other coded language that we've seen so more lies and, this woman the uh,
0: senior twitter executive is lying
2: she's lying to journalists so it wasn't about just the learn to code it was about the context that we were can we seeing. come on, that's, that's just not words. true that's just
1: not true the editor-in-chief of the daily caller <laughs> was suspended for tweeting nothing but hashtag learn to code
2: so tim can i can i finish what i was saying yeah so we were looking at the context and what was happening is there were journalists receiving hundreds of tweets some had death threats, some had wishes of harm, some just learned to code. And in that particular context, we made a decision. We consider this, this type of behavior dogpiling, which is when all of a sudden individuals are getting tons and tons of tweets at them. They feel very abused and harassed on the Can platform.
0: We... Oh, so hold on a second here. So here you have a senior Twitter executive trying to claim that the reason that people like the editor-in-chief of The Daily Caller are getting suspended from Twitter— uh, for, for, for putting out learn to code is that learn to code is itself a code for threats of harm or violence. This is bull. You can you can kind of hear it in her voice. This woman, as she she knows that her argument here, she's well, we did this and we kind of did this other thing and we did some research on it. And no, 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 no. Normal people aren't going to believe you. Um, do we have more in this clip around then or? Oh, that was it. All right. Well, I mean, the whole—I think the podcast is like three hours long, but that's—that's that's all we had for the clip. That's all we need. And I mean, I would just say this: you know what really happened with Learn to Code, Twitter, which is staffed at the top ranks by people who share all of the same political ideologies and all the same approach as your mainstream journalist types do, right? That woke, social justice, left wing garbage thinking. Uh, those people took it upon themselves to back up their blue-check liberal journo friends who had gotten, you know, fired from BuzzFeed, which is, as Tucker Carlson rightly points out, a uh, glorified cat blog for unhappy people living in Brooklyn. Absolutely true, by the way. I know people have worked at BuzzFeed. uh, But people got fired from BuzzFeed as well as other places. And Twitter stepped in to stop people from making fun of journalists who, in some cases, were journalists who had told other people to learn to code, you know, had taken that point of view that, you know, job losses are inevitable. Job losses are inevitable in all industries except journalism, apparently. That's the way journalists think. Even though I think we have way too many journos in this country, nonetheless. It was really um, really an education there to listen to that podcast on Joe Rogan's show and see that uh, Twitter is, is biased against conservatives. Make no mistake about it. When do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's already in? Well, you can ask John, whose blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose blink camera caught a thief stealing packages both times, Blink video clips were sent to the police to help convict the crooks. And in a moment, I'll tell you how to get 20% off all Blink Outdoor XT camera systems. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on two lithium batteries that last up to two years. And Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check in on kids and pets from anywhere from your Blink smartphone app. No contracts, no subscriptions, totally affordable. And right now, Blink Outdoor XT camera systems are an impressive 20% off. But hurry, this sale ends March 16th at midnight Eastern. Visit BlinkProtect.com slash sale. Again, BlinkProtect.com slash sale. Blink is an Amazon company. It works with Alexa. Check it out, BlinkProtect.com slash sale. Oh, the lib mainstream media. What a bunch of clowns. No uh, no dignity, no integrity, no backbone. And as we know, they're largely just a, a subsidiary of the Democrat Party. Or, or maybe the Democrat Party is a subsidiary of the lib media. You can go either way on this one. But the latest today is that the DNC chair, Tom Perez, has said that Fox News is not going to be a media partner for the 2020 Democratic Primary debates. Now, here's the statement that he put out there. Quote Remember, this is the chair of the DNZ. This is the Democrat establishment speaking officially on the record. Quote I believe that a key pathway to victory is to continue to expand our electorate and reach all voters. That is why I've made it a priority to talk to a broad array of potential media partners, including Fox News. Recent reporting in the New Yorker on the inappropriate relationship between President Trump, his administration and Fox News has led me to conclude that the network is not in a position to host a fair and neutral debate for our candidates. Therefore, Fox News will not serve as a media partner for the 2020 Democratic primary debates. These people are so ridiculous. I mean, this is pathetic. First of all, Let's just say, uh, let's let's just take this at face value. No honest, serious person can say, or can say with any credibility, any honesty, that uh, Brett Baer and Chris Wallace and uh, you know go down all of the different, um, all of the different Fox News anchors, not opinion hosts, uh, Harris Faulkner. I mean. And, and by the way, I think the opinion host would do a good job uh, hosting a Democrat debate. I, you know, I, I think that, uh, I mean, the left's head would explode, but I mean, Tucker Carlson would do a great job as one of the anchors of a Democrat debate because he really wants to find out what do these people think? What do they believe? He's not going to take sides. We don't really care which Democrat wins at this point, right? We just want to see what they have to say. And everybody would know that a conservative anchor who was moderating a Democrat debate would be under tremendous scrutiny. And so they would they would play fair. And it just shows what a bunch of weak little cowards the Democrats are. This is what I would say. They won't debate. You know, they won't send their people out from these networks to uh, to face a not even a hostile, just a, a contradictory opinion in public. I mean, I can't find people that will debate anywhere these days on the left. You know, all you get are the crazy people on Twitter that are like, I, de- I challenge you to a debate. It's like you have five followers and I don't know who you are, so I don't think we're going to like set up a, a big debate here. But the Democrats are a bunch of wimps. They're just a bunch of wimps. And that DNC chair Tom Perez here would say that Fox News will not serve as a moderate because of the cozy relationship. Here's what's even more amazing to me. For eight years the press all acted like state media for the Obama administration. And that's just obvious, all right? And people can pretend, some Democrats even say, no, they were hard on Obama. I'm like, you're delusional, all right? They were were all on Team Obama all the time, except for Fox and Talk Radio and some other outlets. But, you know, 90% of the media was completely in the tank for Obama. And yet now that there is one cable news network, that has hosts who are favorable to President Trump's uh, agenda and some have very close relationships with President Trump. There's no question about that. But there's one network and they think that one network, Fox, which also I mean, I think the Brett Baier show, for example, for a, a what you would consider to be a straight news show. And I don't think there is such a thing really as a straight news show. But I think the Bret Baier show gets as close to a straight news show as anything else on TV. And it also has really the smartest panels uh, of of anything you'll find anywhere on TV. I mean, not just because I've been on the panel a bunch of times, but it really is one of the smartest panels you'll get anywhere. I mean, Brett Baer's show is a show that I watch when I can. I usually have to DVR because I'm obviously on radio, but it's it's a show that does the journalism thing for real. And anybody who says otherwise is just full of it. All right. So so you, you start with that. I mean, they have high quality uh, anchors and, and high quality programming, and if they say they if the Democrats say they want to reach a broader audience than just the usual social justice woke lib maniacs, then they should want there to be some Fox Time with the Democrat debates. But you see, libs have to they have to have it their way, or they have to go cry to the principal. I don't want to have a Republican as a I don't want to have somebody from Fox News moderating the debate. Me. They're such a bunch of little babies because they don't have to defend their ideas. They live in this, you know, cosseted, pampered little world where they're surrounded with people all the time. And the media is constantly reinforcing it, that they're right. They don't really have to think. They're just right. And then there's a whole other component of this, which in some ways is the even stronger argument in this whole situation. Notice how, by the way, you know, the Republican Republicans had CNN, which is like CNN is like a front for the Democrat Party. Even they're not so-called nonpartisan anchors. They're a bunch of left wing jerks. But I digress. The better argument here is that for the Democrat Party to claim that Fox, which has none of these kinds of uh, political politicized scandals, that Fox can't moderate a debate because of what the New Yorker says about it oh no because of the New Yorker describing an inappropriate relationship okay well let's move past that for a second here CBS News had its chief anchor run a news story that was fake news folks Dan Rather to throw a presidential election all right. CBS had its primary anchor run with laughably false documents to throw an election against the Republicans. We still allow CBS, you know, we still have CBS moderators at, at debates and stuff. We don't we don't cry about it. CNN was caught giving Hillary Clinton questions. All right. A CNN uh, on air talent decided to funnel questions to Hillary Clinton to help. Her out, you know. You go down the list. It's it's astonishing that people would even make that people would make this case with it with a straight face. Um, it's outrageous that you know NBC held. I mean, we're not idiots, right? NBC held the Billy Bush tape until as an October surprise. Tried to take. Trump down using offstage, open mic, uh, you know, uh, open mic hit, hit piece. But NBC is considered a journalistic enterprise, but this is the media is is no longer in a position to make these claims about its objectivity, but they refuse to give it up because they don't want to have to actually battle it out in the realm of ideas. They like their platforms that they already, they like the legacy platforms. Oh no, we're, we're ABC news. We're not a bunch of left-wing loons. No, you are. You are. You, you, you don't see the issues the way half the country does. You don't understand half the country, ABC news. They have the biggest jerk in politics as their chief uh, political analyst. And the guy's a moron. And a loser and a mean person. I'm not even going to say his name on this radio show over at ABC. He's a bad guy, though, and makes him just makes a complete idiot of himself on Twitter. He's blocked me on Twitter, so there's that. What do you? I remember once he goes, "What do you mean there's persecution of Christians in the Middle East? It's ridiculous." It's like, you, are you just are you just always an idiot, chief political analyst at ABC News? You know, it's one of these guys who kind of attached himself to the Bush dynasty and. Was just riding the wave and has no skills no intelligence and no decency um but i digress uh, these people are terrible a lot of them not all of them look some of them are really nice i know i'm laying in a little hard here some of them are okay but a lot of them are complete phonies and it, it just goes to show you though that you know the mainstream media for all their talk about being big smart journo- journos and all that they have to play on their home field in their home turf same with democrats they can't, they can't handle a real battle of ideas. They need an edge. They need an advantage. I just think it's pathetic and it's annoying, but you know, the Democrats are still delusional on this whole issue of nonpartisan journalism. It does not exist. I know that this year there's been more attention on the issue of abortion, the separation between left and right uh, on abortion than at any time in, in recent memory uh, because of the bills in... Uh, Virginia and in New York State, my home state, and this is one of those moments where you, you probably have to ask, well, are we getting the full story? Like, do people really tell us what's going on here? And my friend uh, Ben Dominich over at The Federalist uh, did a, a particularly good run-through of why the abortion discussion As it's presented versus how it is for Americans who talk to each other and who are living their lives about it, why it seems to be so disconnected. And it's because the media is and I I don't say this to exaggerate or anything else, but the media is a bunch of abortion extremists, even for people who are self-described as pro-choice. The media is very, very extreme. Um, they, they are at the, at the utmost and it's pretty much across the board, which tells you a lot about one, the ethical standards and inclinations of our major news media. Uh, but it also affects so much of the coverage. So this is what Ben wrote on this quote. There's no single issue on which American media opinion is more unrepresentative of public opinion than abortion. And he shows this Gallup poll from May of 2018 that says um, the question is: Americans who say abortion should generally be legal in each trimester by key demographic, uh, and it's U.S. adults. The first trimester, sixty percent; the second trimester, twenty-eight percent; the third trimester, thirteen percent. Very, very few Americans think that third trimester abortion, uh, for reasons of convenience and for reasons of you know just not wanting to have it and all this other stuff. That that's not OK. 13 percent folks think it's OK. I mean, you're talking about almost 90 percent, almost nine out of 10 Americans say no third, no, no third trimester abortions. Ben continues here. Note that fewer women than men think abortion should be legal in the second and third trimester. Yet how often is a pro-life woman featured in any national media context? This is not an accident. It is intentional. It is directed by media hierarchies, and it is the most toxic crackdown on a clearly legitimate debate regarding any domestic policy. Imagine an issue where only 13% of Americans agree with your views, uh, with the views rather espoused in 95% of mass media opinion sections. You don't have to imagine it because this is the one. The media's gaslighting of the abortion issue is unceasing, deliberate and for all practical purposes, pretends pro-life women don't exist. If you want to hear from the 88%, follow, and he gives a whole bunch of names here, Inez Felcher, Molly Hemingway, Emily Jasinski, uh, and and a a whole bunch of others. And then Ben writes, a good question every news opinion organization should be able to answer. How many from the 88% have a voice on your team? How often have you ever heard any mainstream media non-Fox News pundit or news anchor say they oppose third trimester abortion. How is that how is that possible? Right? Given the realities of the overwhelming majority of the country is opposed to a third trimester to third trimester abortions. Why is that not first of all, how many people even know those statistics? You know, you're often led to believe that you're in the minority in this country, if you are pro-life, you're led to believe that somehow you just haven't gotten the memo that a lot of the other people have gotten that you know, this is a women's rights issue or all this stuff. Well, on this, the memo should tell people, so to speak, that the country is as politically united against a third trimester abortion as they are on, on any issue. I mean, you can get 10 percent of people that think that America is not really a country who live in America. I mean, you know, there's once you're down to 10 percent, that is a very small minority. And how is this represented in the media, especially with female voices? It's not. This is deliberate because the media is dishonest and it is a class among us that is desperate to maintain its power and its relevance and is very dishonest in the process. The show ain't over yet, folks. Here's where you take over. Keeping it real. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Going to get in on some of that roll call action, everybody. That's how you do it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Send me your thoughts. Friends, Americans, countrymen, lend me your Facebook messages. Doesn't sound quite as grandiose, does it? TJ, first up. Buck, have you had a chance to listen to the Joe Rogan podcast with Tim Poole, Jack Dorsey, and his Twitter cohort, Vijaya Gadi, yet? If not, I highly recommend it. You should try getting Tim Poole to come on to see if he thinks it was a productive conversation or not. He definitely took it to them pretty good a few times in the podcast, but I'm not sure if the Twitter duo actually cares what he thinks. Anyway, would like to see if you can get Tim on radio or Rising, preferably radio. Thanks so much. TJ. TJ, I have heard some clips of it, obviously, um, but I have not yet uh, heard the whole thing. But I'll just say that it's much of what I've been telling you all along here. I mean, look, this is one of the reasons why we partnered with a new social media network on the show, um, snippy.com. I mean, it's because I, I really believe. And when I tell you that there's bias on the platforms, there's bias on the platforms. And people say, well, you still use Facebook book and you still use Twitter. Yes, that's because I want to be able to reach audience and my fellow Americans. And those are the platforms that exist. If there was a platform that was truly neutral. Uh, Other than one that's I mean, obviously, we've got our our sponsor snippy and I'm I'm posting there. But if there was a platform uh, like Twitter, for example, then certainly uh, I think a lot of people would move to it just knowing that they wouldn't have to deal with what's obviously ideological censorship. And that is what is underway Marina had the next one here. She writes, I had the privilege last night of attending a a pre-screening of Captain Marvel with a group of women pilots. I did not feel it was a man bashing movie or anything against men. I did not feel that it was a strictly women power type of movie or had a social justice theme. There was one scene where the character played by Annette Bening mocked the main character, implying she did not have what it takes to succeed That's when they did a flashback to her childhood where every time she fell or failed, she got back up, ending with her in a flight suit getting back up. I I didn't see it as an empowering moment, but more as a pride in ignoring the naysayers, picking yourself up, brushing off the dirt and trying again. Uh, It is not an excellent movie, but it's entertaining. It's fun looking back at the mid 90s technology and the humor played off of that. Lastly, I've not read one review that talks about the cat. I think the cat has a big role as many other actors in the movie and will no doubt remain a character in movies to come. Marina, thank you for your review of Captain Marvel. I appreciate it. I have not seen it, so I will have to take your word for all this. And next up we have Adam who writes, Buck, please don't mix Marvel and DC superheroes in the same sentence. I love you, man, but come on. Shields high. Adam, what did I do? Did I, I I think I said Captain uh, Captain America and Captain Marvel probably. That's probably what I did, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, you did, Buck. Yeah, you did. Rob. Buck, wouldn't the Democratic Party use emergency powers anyway since it's legal? I don't understand the fear. Shields high. Rob. Yeah, the Democrats will use emergency powers even when it's not legal. And this is why I don't really understand or rather I reject the argument that we're setting some bad precedent and it's going to come back to bite us. And, oh, what are we going to do? The Democrats are going to exploit it now. Democrats are going to exploit it anyway, folks, as in the Democrats will do whatever they can get away with in terms of pursuing their agenda on their power. They're not going to say, oh, because the Republicans were being fair on this one, we're going to be fair, too. That's just not how Democrats think about things. Josh writes, Captain Marvel was a dude. Then they changed it. Also, Marvel and D.C. both have a Captain Marvel. Huh, interesting. But Josh, I, I thought that was the case. I thought they offered up Captain Marvel as a woman as a recent thing, and I was right. Nirvana is awesome, but not a big Guns N' Roses fan, so agree to disagree. And you still need to check out Tool, Josh. I'm sorry, man. Nirvana versus Guns N' Roses. I I really think you got to go with Guns N' Roses. I, I mean, look to each his own. To each his own, man. And and that's you, you know we we gotta. Stay true to that principle, but I really do think that it's a better band. But that's just me. What do I know? Well, I guess hopefully I know some things because I I do a radio show and I talk about a lot of things for a lot of time. Tyler Shields High. Perhaps another book I could recommend on the climate change issue is Inconvenient Facts by Gregory Wrightstone. He is a geologist who, in the search for is global warming making the California wildfires worse, ended up writing this book. It gives great information on natural phenomena leading to global warming and the cyclical history of climate change. Tyler, uh, I will check that out for sure. We had on Rising today the gentleman Dr. Uh, Rossiter from last night, who came on the show and is a climate statistician, and he was just on fire, man. He was and my co-host Juanita Tolliver, who is a very lovely, very nice, very nice lady. Uh, I don't think she was prepared for the onslaught of data that he brought to bear. And look, he says that he said, I think he said this on a radio show last night, but he said on Rising this morning that Libs will not debate him on this, that he keeps making the offer. Who wants to debate this? And the Libs simply won't do it. So with, with that realization, I mean, how could we think that their argument is sound? How can you believe that the science is clear and the science speaks for itself on this? There we go. I think that, I think that it answers itself. Keith writes, Buck, you got the best Bernie imitation. Thank you, Keith. You're amazing. I appreciate it. Hopefully the millionaires and the billionaires will not see this message because they will take all of your money because they're greedy and they'll fire you because they're mean, because they're billionaires. Uh, Christine writes, I think we need an audit of how much of our tax money the government has spent on investigating the president since they are starting another one. Christina, I would like to see that too, but I've got to tell you, we've got a bigger problem than that investigation. We are hitting $22 trillion in debt. We are going to be, uh, I think, over a trillion dollars in terms of the deficit for this year alone. I think it's maybe 800 billion but it's 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 way up there we're spending way too much money in a time of of prosperity and when things are actually going pretty well i also think that we need to look at the way that we measure economic success and progress i mean just gdp doesn't necessarily tell you everything about how things are really going uh, but that's a longer conversation for another time to be sure uh Steve writes, crazy uncle has figured out AOC's problem. No, Steve, I can't read that. Steve, I can't read that on the air, Steve. you're Steve, you're being a troublemaker. You're being a troublemaker. Uh, Daniel writes, hey, Buck, love your show. Daniel, you have great taste in radio. Many may be wondering why Senate Dems would allow infanticide. I found this story from a Harvard student during a 2010 ethics class. The young man said that the first day of class, they were assigned to read and respond to an actual case of an aborted child 24 weeks along who was gasping for breath 20 minutes later. The nurse at this Singapore hospital found a doctor who chose to save the baby. Out of 50 students, only the young man and three others thought the baby should be saved. The other 46 were outraged that the baby was saved. Lincoln is credited with saying the philosophy of the classroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Shields high. By the way, uh, this is documented here, and he sent me a link to the piece. Uh, Daniel, that's, this, this goes back to my, my thesis advisor and mentor in college, uh, Professor Hadley Arkes, who helped craft the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, which was uh, premised on something that's very straightforward is the right to an abortion the right to the procedure or the right to a dead baby? Because as we know, sometimes the baby survives the abortion procedure, and I don't want to get into graphic details of it, but that does happen. So in that instance, is an abortion the right to a dead baby, or is an abortion a medical procedure that when completed, if the baby survives, that's a baby, Now, we all know the answer to this question, but the left and the abortion extremists logic on this is such that they believe that the question needs to be left open, at least. They do not want criminal penalties for somebody who would say, well, you know, the baby's probably not going to make it anyway. So why give it medical care now or any number of any number of scenarios? And it's truly evil and it's wrong. And it's the great moral separation between left and right right now in this country. Denise writes, Dear Buck, I just want to say how much I enjoy your podcast. I've listened since your days on The Blaze. I don't get to listen every day, but when I do, I always come away feeling the time was well spent. I've learned something of value. My sincere thanks to you and your team for all the time and effort you put into keeping us informed. Denise, well, Denise, that's really kind of you. Thank you so much for the nice and encouraging note. And it means a lot that uh, people across the country appreciate what we do here and the show that we put out every day and a lot does go into it Uh, a lot goes into it so thank you very much for that dan writes your trey gowdy isn't bad but like the one listener it needs to be a little more gomer it has a little too much mr me seeks right now if you don't know who that is you should watch some rick and morty awfully funny but awfully dirty and rough Well, Dan, I appreciate that you know you're saying my tray gout is not that bad. It's uh, it's it's, my tray is it's a little off, I know, but it's sometimes you know I'm just I'm sitting here, I'm talking to my colleagues in Congress, and I'm getting closer, right? Uh, Maybe maybe not. Here we go. Mark writes, "Shields high to pistachio ice cream." Also, heard your protest about pickles on a burger. How about pickles on a pizza? And he sent photos. Dude, no pickles on pizza. No, we are not savages. We do not put pickles on our pizza. All right, there are rules. Benji, long-time listener, first-time direct messenger. Been a fan since I heard you on The Blaze. Anyway, I agree with you on the kids. The leftists that control the public education system would vote, uh, or rather would love for 10-year-old kids to vote. The schools would go as far as using kids' uh, school buses to transport them to vote without their parents' permission. Keep up the great work, Benji. Well, thank you so much, Benji. And yeah, look, it's true. They want little kids who don't know anything and who can be programmed and brainwashed to vote because that's really what low-information voting is all about, isn't it? Brainwashing people with simplistic terms and slogans and getting them to do what you want. It's pretty much the Democratic Party's mantra, whether you're a kid or an adult, so there's that. More tomorrow, team. Shields high.